I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just a heads up, this episode includes descriptions of an alleged sexual assault. I mean, I knew, we all knew that once he was gone, things were going to change. There was a feeling in the air. In 1982, Wilhelmina Frankfurt visited Balanchine in the hospital. She was on edge about the future. I felt protected by Balanchine. He would just always take care of me. I knew that. And I knew that when he was gone, that that was not going to be the case. Balanchine lay weak and confused in a hospital bed that he hadn't left for weeks, and that he would never leave. At 79, he was dying of a rare neurological disease. He would have to hand over the company to a successor. But the topic of succession didn't seem to interest Balanchine. He'd say after he died, he wouldn't be there, so they wouldn't be his ballets. He had no expectation that the New York City Ballet would survive his death. He seemed to absolve himself from the decision. Except for one point. Whoever his successor would be, he said, it could only be a man who loves women. Peter had become the acting director. And you could feel the shift coming. Peter Martins was the principal dancer in the company. Originally from Denmark, Peter was striking with full blonde hair and wide-set blue eyes. Six feet, two inches of muscle. He was known for his technique. His movements were steady and precise. His body cut through the stage at elegant and crisp angles. His dancing could be emotionless. His expression never changing. The whole package suited Balanchine and his plotless abstract ballets. You know, I had lots of good times with Peter. I had lots and lots of fun with him. And I loved his dancing. Mm. He was a little boring, but what a beautiful technician. 
and Balanchine made incredible parts for him. Peter had already been involved in day-to-day operations. He was casting parts now and running rehearsals. Maybe he would be in charge after Balanchine died. Whoever Peter loved, they were starting to dance more. But Wilhelmina says if he didn't like you, you might be shut out. I was on that list for a number of reasons. People Peter didn't like. Yeah. It's not that he didn't like me. It's just that that I knew too much. From My Heart Podcasts and Rococo Punch, this is The Turning. I'm Erica Lance. Part 5. The Prince. I don't know that you can have a ballet company without a certain kind of hierarchy. The same way orchestras usually have conductors and movies have directors. A complex piece of art involving a lot of people and moving parts needs a North Star. And that's what Balanchine was to his dancers. He controlled the artistic vision and a cadre of dancers who were willing to give everything to be part of it. I think a lot was codified when Balanchine created his school, then company. Aspects that have been institutionalized around dancers' work ethic and body aesthetics. Whoever his successor would be, they wouldn't only inherit the company, but also the culture. A culture that sucks you in from the moment you enter Balanchine's School of American Ballet. But I lived without my family. I moved out from my family. So my grow-up school was fast and furious. That's where Wilhelmina first encountered Peter Martins. It was 1969. She was 13 years old. In the boarding house for the School of American Ballet, there were 16 of us, kind of like little maidens all in a row. Right away, Wilhelmina admired one of the older girls, who was 16. And she was a very big influence on me because she was a California girl, like really California dream and hippie. She had lots of clothes. She was a really good dancer. And I was awestruck. Someone else was interested in Wilhelmina's friend, too. Peter Martins, the tall blonde star in the New York City Ballet. He wasn't a student. He was a professional dancer, already in the company. Peter had trained and danced at the Royal Danish Ballet. But in 1967 he started to perform as a guest artist at New York City Ballet. His first role was Apollo. He played the role of the young god to his three muses. Soon after, Balanchine invited Peter to join the company as a principal, the highest rank a dancer can reach. Peter asked Wilhelmina's friend out on a date. He was 23, and she was 16. Which is, you know, a little, mm, mm, I know, but, mm, but oh well. Uh, She was allowed to go, so we all, 15 of us, helped her get dressed, and we were all excited, little ballerinas, and he came, and he wasn't allowed above the second floor, and we all looked out the window, and off she went with him. And he was already, you know, big global star. So it's like 
she landed the big star at a young age. It felt exciting. Yeah, yeah. Very. Soon, Peter and Wilhelmina's roommate became a couple. We used to go over to Peter's and play poker and hang out. It was fun. We were like very young couples, right? I was like 15, 16. It felt special to be a dancer in New York at that moment. The dance boom. Great dance of all kinds swirled around them. They could catch a performance any night, and they were a part of it. What was that time like? Did you kind of feel like unsupervised teens? Or what was that sort of period like? Um, I didn't feel like unsupervised teens. I think we felt like we were grown-ups. It was like sort of glamorous in a way, you know, even though we had like crummy apartments and not really any money or anything. It was fun. And how much time did you spend with your fellow dancers like in and out of the classroom? All the time. All the time. I didn't have any other friends. It was just you go from class to lunch to the apartments you shared. You were always just with dancers your experience with them is so deep and your children together. Mm. And so it carries through for the rest of your life. You're not really co-workers. You're family. Did it ever, do you ever feel like it led to like warped relationships where, you know, lines get blurry or was there ever a flip side where that went too far? Do you feel like? when it comes to the closeness or just the how you're like constantly in each other's lives? Well, I wasn't conscious of that. So I don't know. I don't really know anything else. To Wilhelmina, it just all felt normal. It wasn't until later that I knew there was a dark side I was always a little afraid of him, even before I witnessed anything. And I think that dates back to my own instinct with my own father. And my dad was an alcoholic. Mm. And so there was just that behavior. And that's a specific behavior. There's an anger that occurs that's different from other anger. Wilhelmina says they all drank a lot and could lose control, herself included. But there was an edge to Peter that made her nervous. Even if there's not a violence that occurs, it's violent. It crosses a line. First, I started seeing, uh, well, I can talk about the public arguments. It's been publicly documented that Peter and Wilhelmina's friend had a turbulent relationship. They've both used the word tempestuous to describe it in the past. Neither of them wanted to comment for this series. In 1992, the LA Times quoted her, saying, Peter and I did not have a physically violent relationship. But after a long silence, she adds, that is not to say that I have not pummeled him in the arm more than once. And if I pushed Peter hard enough, if I shrieked and yelled and cried and screamed and caused a scene, and he couldn't take it anymore, he would restrain me. In those days, there was like 
lot. I don't know what it is now, but there was a lot of drinking that went down. A lot, a lot, and a lot of messy stuff because of it. And then Wilhelmina says there were times she'd pick up her friend and she'd see marks on her body or a black eye. For people who are are kids, what do you do? When Wilhelmina was in her late teens, her father came to visit New York. My very angry father. He was in town and I was having a birthday party. Wilhelmina threw a birthday party for her boyfriend. It was at Peter's house. A mix of dancers from the company attended. One of the guests was the renowned ballerina, Gelsie Kirkland. Years later, Gelsie would famously write about this party in a memoir. It's a true story. It is a true story. There were all kinds of people there. Gelsie was having an affair with Peter. My boyfriend was seeing somebody else. And everybody was like kids and screwing around, kind of like college, right? Very college. Wilhelmina was downstairs in this duplex when suddenly her dad came in. My dad comes in, grabs me and says, you have to leave now. And I said, well, wait, I, you know, like threw me in the cab. Wilhelmina's friend, Peter's girlfriend, was in the cab. Peter was on the ground. My dad knocked Peter out. Knocked him out. Apparently, Wilhelmina says, her dad had come outside for a smoke and he'd found Peter there in a rage, hitting his girlfriend. My dad, who was also physically abusive to my mother all the time, drunk. There he was, seeing himself, right? And that was bad. We reached out to Peter Martins multiple times for comment on this and the other details in this episode, but we received no response. When I hear Wilhelmina tell this story, it just strikes me how messy all this was. According to her and Gelsey Kirkland, there was a far more senior dancer in the company dating a woman much younger, and here he was, allegedly getting violent outside a party full of people they worked with. And then there's Wilhelmina in the middle of it all. Her dad, who himself has a history of being abusive, gets aggressive. It's strange to think how it must have felt for everyone involved. But it's also strange that it took someone from the outside, someone not in the company, someone not linked to its hierarchy, to intervene in that moment. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. 
thought they were going to kill me. So I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. At 17, Wilhelmina was a member of the Corps de Ballet. Her ambition at this point was to gain strength as a dancer, move ahead in the company, land more roles. She says she didn't care about fame or being well-known. She just wanted to dance the parts of her idols, like Patricia McBride and Allegra Kent. Meanwhile, Peter Martins was still a principal in the company. He had relationships with numerous dancers, but Wilhelmina says she didn't feel he was interested in her. I never thought he was really attracted to me. I wasn't, it wasn't his body type. He didn't like my dancing, you know what I mean? It was like I was just not his cup of tea. We wound up sitting next to each other on a plane. He was going back to New York, and we were talking, and and. He said to me, I'm intimidated by you. And I said, why? And he said, because you're just so much woman. You're so feminine. You're so much of a woman. Peter had one specific type, and that was like a boyish body, which is not my body at all. But Wilhelmina says something changed when she was about 20. She'd been in the company for four years. This one summer, I was really anorexic, and he started coming after me. He kept trying to get with me, and I kept pushing me away and saying, you know, come on, you have a girlfriend, and she's my friend. He just didn't let up. He was trying to corner me, corner me, corner me, and I kept saying, 
no, you know, stop, come on, stop. It was flattering because he's this big, beautiful, handsome star. At the same time, it was just unnerving to have to handle it. One day that summer, Wilhelmina says she was performing Balanchine's Stars and Stripes. It was a high-energy piece, brash and silly and technically difficult, and set to music by John Philip Sousa. Balanchine directed the dancers to prance and jump in a large moving circle. They walk on their toes on point, flirt with each other, high kick and do the splits in midair. They even salute the audience. He called the ballet an applause machine. Wilhelmina wore a tutu and a bodice that looked like an American flag. I was on the side of the wing watching. Wilhelmina had a couple of movements to wait through before she went back on stage for the finale. Suddenly, Peter appeared. He came into the wing in his robe and he said, come with me. I was like, now? Okay. And his dressing room was on the side of stage. And I went in and he opened his robe, just like that. (laughs) He exposed himself, she says. And I mean, I'm in the middle of a valley, I know. It's like, I I was like, Peter. Then Wilhelmina had to go back on stage. She joined the 26 other women and 14 men in the grand finale. She saluted and kicked lined and pirouetted and marched. She jumped in formation while a giant American flag the size of the entire backdrop unfurled behind her. She lunged for the final pose. And I just kept it to myself. You know, I kept it to myself. I think if you've never experience that kind of pressure or that kind of someone stepping over the line, it might be hard to understand. You know what I mean? It's embarrassing. And also, I wanted to try to keep the peace. So she didn't tell anyone. She didn't know who she would tell anyway. There was no HR. There was nobody to go to. And if you were going to go to somebody, it was going to be somebody that also wanted to keep their own job and were loyal to them. Do you feel like that's something you could have gone to Balanchine about? No. uh Uh-uh. I think it's that you just feel like a victim, act like a victim. You know, it's like that kind of, I'm, I'm easy prey that way, and you don't want anybody to know. You always feel like, what do I, what have, what did I do to cause it? That's just where you jump to. Other people may have gone to him about things that happened to them, and and I don't know who they are or what that would have been. But um, I, yeah, I didn't. I, I, it was. I didn't feel like I could go and bother him with that. <laughs> yeah, hmm. I went to him more with you know, dancing problems, life problems, money problems, you know, stuff like that. But not abuse stuff. And I don't think anybody did. 
as years went on, I talked to some people who were younger after me, and uh, I was telling that story, and she laughed. She said, oh, yeah. She said, that's what he did. You know how many people have that story? That's what he did. We spoke with one dancer. She said her friend, who has since died, told her that Peter exposed himself to her like this. At the time, Wilhelmina mostly blamed herself. When someone steps over the line with you, you wonder what you're doing to make that happen. You wonder, what have I done? You don't look at, that person should just not be doing that. I mean, and that's what you do with your abuser. Wilhelmina says Peter Martins left her alone for a couple of years after that Stars and Stripes performance. Meanwhile, he gained power in the company. Balanchine held private coaching sessions with Peter in the 70s. Like most male dancers, Peter didn't know a lot about the mechanics of dancing on point. Balanchine and Peter would tuck away in an empty rehearsal room for hours with a female dancer. There, Balanchine showed Peter how to choreograph on a woman. He talked about balance, placement, and the female body. By 1981, there was a lot of speculation about whether Peter would be the one to step into Balanchine's shoes someday. A New York Times Magazine article from that year wrote about the first piece Peter choreographed. Quote, The boy's first entrance expresses all of Martin's frustration and fascination at being a man working at an art made for women. The boy walks across the stage with his toes curled under his foot. He experiments and steps on the tops of his toes, testing what it feels like trying to climb up on point. The critic wrote of Peter, he's an extremely intelligent and promising choreographer, but he's not found himself yet. The headline read, Peter Martins, Prince of the Dance. That same year, Peter Martins got promoted to ballet master in the company. Three months after the story ran, the company went on tour to Fort Worth, Texas. Wilhelmina was 25. There was a party one night, Wilhelmina says. You know, one of those fancy dinners, and it was in the hotel. And I left. He got in the elevator with me. He followed me to my room. He was drunk. I'd had a few glasses of wine. I was not drunk, but, you know. And he stood at the door, and then I said to him, do you want to come in? And he said, yes. And so he came in. I said to him, you want me to get some room service and get some coffee? Or do you want to talk? What's wrong? Peter said he didn't want coffee. Wilhelmina says instead he came toward her. He attacked me. I didn't think I was going to get out of it. First he shoved me up against the wall. Here there was a built-in desk. He shoved me up against the wall. He, he pushed his body weight against me. He ripped up my dress. I pushed him off, and, I, and he grabbed me again, kind of rough, and he threw me down on the bed. You know, he got on top of me, and he was out of control. Guy was out of control. And I think he probably figured since I asked him in that, you know, he was going to fuck me. 
I said, Peter, get off, get off, get off. You know, I was just screaming at him like that, get off. I remember at one point feeling like I wanted to bash his head with a telephone. I remember thinking that. I, I, I got, it was like, I got like an exorcist voice. And I said, get the fuck off me, motherfucker. Get the fuck off me. So I fought my way and sniggled my way out from underneath it. And then I very firmly said to him, Peter, get out of here. And he finally pulled himself together. He stood up. He looked at me. He said, you mean you're turning me down? And I said, yeah, turning you down. One of the few. I remember I said that. I said, one of the few, huh? And then he left. It was horrible right after I was, I was shaking. I don't even know if it's so much that he wanted to like, have if it was the sex as much as the the violence of overpowering me so that i i i was helpless physically helpless i was really nervous about seeing him in class and in rehearsal and it was so awkward but i remember the next day, just walking into class and looking at him and thinking, ugh, it was, it was horrible. Wilhelmina was in a daze for a while after that, like she couldn't make sense of it yet. You leave your body for sure. You get lifted off your body in a way, you know, and out of your head in order to handle it, I think, just because you, you, you're so wounded and you're trying to recover and deal with what happened and did that happen how did that happen did i really live through that you know i felt like i had to cover it up and let it go wilhelmina says she told two friends about this incident at the time we spoke to one of them who says she couldn't remember whether wilhelmina told her about it she says she remembers the tour, and that tours could be wild times with people running up and down the halls drunk. She says it could have happened, and she can't think of a reason that Wilhelmina would invent the story. But she says it was several decades ago, and she couldn't remember a conversation like that with Wilhelmina. Mostly, Wilhelmina continued in the company as if nothing had happened. She kept it to herself. Before this interview, she told a reporter at Salon it was something so big she couldn't talk about it. I didn't say anything. Went the next day into rehearsal, didn't say a word. And didn't say a word for 30 years. He didn't talk to me really for a little while after that. We stayed away from each other after that. That's why I, I knew that when Mr. B died, my days were numbered.
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. After Balanchine died in 1983, the board of the New York City Ballet made an announcement. Peter Martins and the choreographer Jerome Robbins would run the company together. They'd be co-ballet masters-in-chief. Those are terrible shoes to have to step into no matter who you are. Even though she felt for Peter, she was wary of him, too. And right away, she noticed a difference in his approach compared to Balanchine's. Wilhelmina says Balanchine was tough but fair. He pushed dancers but never yelled. But Peter was volatile. It was taking this new direction of lack of respect to the dancers. You know, anger. Any moment this rage could occur. And that's scary. It is scary. After this one performance of a role in Western Symphony, he 
took me into the hallway and um, he was screaming at me, screaming at me. He was angry with me about the way that I danced. How dare I perform like that? How dare I take advantage of that ballet? This ballet, that balancing had coached me in the role and I knew what I was doing for years. It was just a way of ripping me out of it. It was just a way to get rid of me. I talked back to him when he was screaming at me like that. When I stood up for myself. I said, what are you going to do? Are you going to hit me? Because he was looking like he was going to hit me. And he caught himself. And I just ran off crying. Valchi never yelled at us. Never. You knew if he didn't like it. But there was no screaming. As Wilhelmina sees it, Balanchine was chivalrous, a gentleman. And Balanchine is definitely known for that. All of the dancers we spoke to who trained under Balanchine spoke of him with great affection. We've heard stories of kindness and humor. I get the impression that Balanchine's dancers, at least the ones we've encountered, feel protective over him and his legacy. Wilhelmina included. But what's interesting is that you hear about other sides of Balanchine, too. That he could be cruel. That he sometimes did yell or seemed to purposely humiliate people. One dancer said, quote, Balanchine used to scream the same thing day after day. I thought you were better. Come on, come on, what's wrong with you? Are you stupid? In 1992, the LA Times reported that when Peter Martins took over, company members actually saw Peter as, quote, less despotic than his predecessor, Balanchine. Basically, that Peter was a little more relaxed, easier to work with, nicer than Balanchine. A dancer we spoke to talked about how much Peter encouraged her, that he mentored her. To me, it brings home that different people can have very different experiences of the same person, whether that person is George Balanchine or Peter Martins. So much depends on who you talk to. Wilhelmina says the way she saw it at the time, there was no chance for her once Mr. B was gone and Peter was in charge. I'd known him too long and I'd seen too much. And it was very easy for him to use that, like, I'd been there too long. He didn't like my dancing. He wanted to see other dancers. You know, it was his way of forcing me out. Wilhelmina says she started losing roles. Her upward trajectory was changing direction. When he started to take me out of everything that I danced, which he did, um, Mr. B was barely cold in the ground. I was very unhappy and I was just collecting a paycheck and that's not what I wanted to do. And my daughter's dad, who I was with at the time, uh, he said, well, if I don't like working with somebody, I just leave. And I said, well, it's a little different for you to just leave with what you do than for me to just leave the only place or thing that I've ever known. Ballet was her whole world but she felt she couldn't stay. I'm in a situation where I'm really unhappy and it's my mental health or it's my mental health, not just or, it's my mental health. It's the only home I've known, if you count from the school for, you know, 18 years. So... It is leaving your home, leaving your family, leaving your friends, 
leaving your whole life as you've ever known it and leaving your art form for the unknown. So it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Wilhelmina wrote Peter a long letter. She says she was too heartbroken to show up and tell him in person. I used the excuse of that I was having a baby, you know, I got pregnant. But it was really that he he made it untenable for me to be there, like almost right away. And she left. It would take years for Wilhelmina to tell the full story of what happened between her and Peter. But her account is not the first time we've heard Peter's name associated with alleged violence and sexual misconduct. Back in 1992, Peter was married and head of the New York City Ballet. One night, his wife called the police. She told them Peter physically attacked her at home during an argument, that he hit her repeatedly. She said there were cuts and bruises across her body. Peter's wife was a big deal dancer in the company at the time, almost 20 years younger than he was. They had started dating when she was a teenager. After the domestic violence arrest, Peter's wife dropped the charges. And the board of the New York City Ballet supported him. One member said, quote, It has nothing to do with his competency or his support in the ballet community. He was still running the company in 2017 when someone sent the company an anonymous letter. The story ran in the Washington Post. Peter Martins was under investigation. The letter was never made public, but the School of American Ballet announced that it contained, quote, general nonspecific allegations of sexual harassment in the past by Peter Martins at both New York City Ballet and the school. Peter took a leave of absence, and the School of American Ballet hired a lawyer to conduct an internal investigation. One former New York City ballet dancer we spoke to, Shelley Scott, recalls a time when she was 14 or 15 years old and a student at the school before she got into the company. She says Peter, who was in his early 30s, would follow her and a friend around when they were out and about in the city or hang out at the school studios at night and try to coax dancers into the men's dressing rooms. Almost immediately after the Washington Post story, articles started pouring out of major newspapers about Peter Martin's history. Dancers came forward to discuss violent experiences they said they had with Peter. The New York Times ran a story with the headline, Five Dancers Accuse City Ballet's Peter Martins of Physical Abuse. One dancer told reporters that Peter once slammed his fists into the wall, about an inch from his head. Another said that Peter grabbed the backs of dancers' necks to position them during rehearsal, and another that he'd grab them by the neck to throw them out of his office. A former student said Peter Martins grabbed him by the neck during class and yanked him back and forth in what he calls a death lock. The dancer was 12 years old at the time. He'd been horsing around on stage when Peter suddenly grabbed him. He said it felt like Peter's fingers were piercing his neck muscles. He felt assaulted. Another dancer told the New York Times that when she asked Peter about a promotion she wanted, he told her she needed to find a way to stand out in his eyes. To her, it felt like a sexual proposition. 
he denied these allegations. A few weeks into the investigation, Peter announced that he had decided to retire, effective immediately. He wrote in a letter, I have denied and continue to deny that I have engaged in any such misconduct. I cooperated fully in the investigation and understand it will be completed shortly. I believe its findings would have vindicated me. In the end, the internal investigation into sexual harassment lasted two months. And in February 2018, it concluded the abuse could not be corroborated. Wilhelmina watched the news unfold, and she didn't like what she was seeing. It's documented that his hands-on actions were too rough at times, just too rough. And people were afraid to talk about it. He was hurting people. You know, when you're teaching ballet, you have to be very careful. I always ask the students, is it okay if I touch you and adjust you here? Yeah. Because they're kids. You know, you can't. That wasn't always the case. You know, old world dance, they would just grab you and make up, do it like this and push you around and pull your body this way and that way. But you really can't do that anymore. And that's a great thing. Even now, her feelings toward Peter are complicated. At times, she feels bad for him. You know, I applaud him for the way that he kept that company going financially. I applaud him. Like, nobody could raise money like that guy. And the fact that he did it, that he was there and he was working and completely devoted to it. And she'd always loved Peter's dancing. He was a beautiful dancer. And he could be like a really fun and funny person. But when he was put in charge of New York City Ballet, there there was nobody saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, we need to all be here and talk about this together. It frustrates Wilhelmina that people don't want to talk about these things, even if she understands it. It's a tight, tight, tight world. And people are scared. People are still afraid to talk. From the beginning... Balanchine asked his dancers to take risks, to put everything on the line when they danced. In a way, that's what Wilhelmina's doing. Because she says some people are furious with her for talking publicly like this. You know, like my brother said to me, is that all you want to be remembered for? And I said, well, you know, if that's what happens, if that's all they remember me for, well, yeah, okay, that's okay with me. my age think it's still not appropriate. You don't air your garbage. You don't, you know, because they don't see the importance of standing up for younger generations. And that's really the whole thing. That's the whole thing. I mean, I have a daughter. I have a granddaughter, a daughter-in-law, you know, and sons. One of the reasons I, I was willing to talk about things was so that things would change and become safer for young people. Gone unchecked, bad things can happen. And and they did. And then the tragedy of it was that there was talent that got caught up in it and didn't get to 
come to its full potential because the trauma of the experience was too deep. You're scared when you're young to raise your voice. You're afraid to say, you know, this is happening to me. And, and even then, you face being shunned like by others. I mean, it's, it's, it needs to be constant. And I think... Constantly talked about? I think so. I think it, you know, it can't be allowed to go back under. Peter Martins resigned five years ago. Balanchine has been dead for 40. So what does this all have to do with Balanchine? Listening to this, you might think the connection is obvious. Or you might be angry that I'm bringing these two men together at all or talking about them in this way. I've encountered all kinds of reactions to this story. Everyone has an opinion, and often they disagree. I've been thinking about just like kind of cultural norms or the creation of culture in which things become normalized. And so I just wanted to run something by you because I guess I've just been thinking about different ways in which balancing is present even now. And sometimes I think that it's like he normalized a culture that blurs professional and personal life and normalize this idea that you can elevate a single man to such a place of power that he becomes omnipotent in a way in this ballet world and makes it acceptable for that man to then pursue dancers who work for him and to sort of eroticize company life so that sex and power and art and relationships all get entangled. Hmm. I'm curious what you make of that. Well, I think it's true. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it has been true. When that's allowed to happen without any oversight, then it becomes a norm. We are hoping now that that's going to change. The Turning is a production of Rococo Punch and iHeart Podcasts. It's written and produced by Aylan Lance Lesser and me. Our story editor is Emily Foreman. Mixing and sound design by James Trout. Jessica Carissa is our assistant producer. Andrea Aswahe is our digital producer. Fact-checking by Andrea Lopez Cruzado. Our executive producers are John Parati and Jessica Alpert at Rococo Punch, and Katrina Norbell and Nikki Etor at iHeart Podcasts. For photos and more details on the series, follow us on Instagram at Rococo Punch. And you can reach out via email, theturning at rococopunch.com. I'm Erica Lance. Thanks for listening.
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was booted! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.